With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. A busy morning of uh, mixed sport uh, to begin with. Uh, we have uh, Dean Lonigan. Remember Dino? Uh, very, very popular New Zealander, of course, uh, who's heavily involved in uh, sport promotion and fight promotion uh, over there in Australia at the moment. Uh, we'll have a, a chat with Dino on life. Uh, and Paul Gallen in particular uh, after that uh, loss the other night to Chris Chizewski. Jacob Spoonley just after 9.30 this morning. Uh, it's a massive weekend for the Phoenix, isn't it? Uh, all season to try to get to the playoffs, well, they're there, and they play Western United, so uh, we'll look at that match through uh, Jacob Spoonley's eyes. Um, we will be looking at uh, Sevens Rugby as well. Uh, the New Zealand uh, All Black Sevens uh, coach Clark Laidlaw will be with us as the side gets set to travel to France and England. Uh, he named his side yesterday, and of course the Commonwealth Games just around the corner. Jeff McTainch, Mark Watson are on the panel this morning. That'll be cool. And Grant Elliott, just after 11 o'clock, with his, his thoughts, uh, his particular thoughts on Baz getting the gig for England. And Gene Fahey, uh, along with uh, Dave Fahey, the, probably the most successful partnership we've got in Greyhound Racing in New Zealand. We're talking to Green, uh, uh, Gene uh, just before that. And Greg O'Connor. Greg O'Connor, uh, 11.45. 11.45 this morning, sitting in for Mick Guerin. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So it's official, but we knew at the same time yesterday, didn't we, that Brendan McCullum is the new coach of the England Test Cricket team, and because, thankfully, England cricket and their fans still treasure the importance of the long form of the game, this is a huge role. The world of Test Cricket needs Baz to do a fine job because England have to be better than good. They have to be a dominant force, they have to threaten Australia, and he's got 12 months to get them right for that challenge. Whilst his body is in uh, India with Kolkata and uh, the IPL, his mind will already be on that first morning at Lord's against us. He knows our players inside out, their techniques, their strengths and weaknesses, where to set fields to cut them off, where to attack, and that is the McCullum way, where to attack. Sitting back, holding off his last priority in his cricketing brain. Gary Stead and Kane Williamson will be fully aware they will be challenged. They will know that now because they know Baz. Across the codes, we have sent coaches around the world almost on a weekly basis lately to high-profile positions. We are respected because of what we achieve with small budgets, small resources, and a really small population. 
John Wright did an incredible job with India, arguably a lot tougher gig than Baz has got. He went into a melting pot, got their trust, their confidence, and behind the scenes, slowly built a confident group, a performing group under MS Dhoni. Wrighty survived for a long period of time, which was probably his greatest achievement. His successor, the great Greg Chappell, lasted five minutes in comparison. As a cricket coach in particular, you can't be bigger than your players. When you get more headlines, that's when the trouble starts. Just ask Justin Langer. So that's a danger for Baz. The English media, more than any, love a good headline. They are like blood to a vampire. We all know, we will all uh, take a lot greater interest uh, in England and how they perform now. And that will stay long after this New Zealand series because a Kiwi-born captain and a Kiwi-born coach, it's like we have some sort of vested interest in how the two most heavily tattooed leaders will merge as a combo. Baz is now a highly paid professional international cricket coach. He's only 40 and he has crammed much into four decades just by the by. When he sits in the home dressing room balcony at Lord's in a couple of weeks' time perusing his new turf, there will be many shots of him. He will be a major focus. And under that England tracksuit, there will still be beating a Kiwi heart. I promise you that. That should never be doubted. Well, it's uh, 9.08 here uh, on the SENZ in the mornings and talk about Brendan McCullen flying his trade overseas. Well, our guest, our very special guest first up this morning has been doing that for a while. Good morning to uh, Dean Lonigan. Dino, lovely to talk to you again, mate. Smithy, how are you going? How big is that news about Brendan McCullen going to coach England? I couldn't agree more with your sentiments. They do love a headline. And the best thing a coach could do is be silent and just produce results. So it'll be fascinating to see how he goes and handles the pressure over there because New Zealand media by comparison are tame. Well, this came out of the blue for us. You know, I mean, we thought he might be the white ball coach, you know, do the, the T20s and the 50 over stuff. But to get the biggest job, I reckon that outside the English football manager's job, this is the biggest job in England he's taken on. So uh, as his first gig as an international cricket coach, it don't come much bigger, mate. Mate, it's about as good as it gets. And as you uh, rightly identified, they pay in English pounds and lots of them. So I'm sure Brendan's very happy about that. <laughs> oh, well, OK. <laughs> Let's get back. The life and soul of Dean Lonergan has just come to the fore, folks. Here we go. Uh, look, um, Paul Gallen the other night. Uh, a lot of interest in Paul Gallen, Dino, uh, at the Newcastle and Entertainment Centre. Uh, he got beat, but um, he's the guy we'd love to hate but admire at the same time. Smithy, I can't tell you how much I like Paul Gallon and how much of a good guy he really is. I was fortunate enough, I worked with him on a couple of occasions, uh, once with Fight for Life many, many years ago. Then we did some stuff with him as an ambassador for the Nines. And uh, last year he fought Justice Hooney, taking his first loss uh, in Sydney. And Gallo was just an absolute dream and a pleasure to deal with. He's a wonderful family man. You know, he commits a lot of the time to his kids and then he's also got a huge amount of time and commitment to the media and what he does. And uh, he got beat. He just grew old overnight, to be fair. He's up against it. They made a poor choice in going with the South Pole. And, and I can't pronounce the guy's second name, Chris Kostrovsky. I, I can't pronounce it. Excuse all the Greek people out there for who I've fluffed this for. But, uh, mate, South Pole's are difficult. And uh, the guy had a background in boxing and maybe did the right thing by 
he circled away from Gal's right hand and he stayed away from Gal and just popped him, you know, hit him with lots of jabs, good left shots. And then when he came in close, he just tied him up. It was the exact right fight to fight and he did well. And, uh, you know, now potentially that guy will be an opponent of Justice Hooney. Well, Chris Tzeski, I'll have a go at it as well, and I apologise if I've got it wrong. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the toughest man, he said about, this is about Gallon, the toughest man I've ever hit in my life, literally the toughest man in Australia. That's a hell of a compliment. Oh, look, he, uh, Gal got that title after Justice Hooney gave him a severe beating a year ago. And uh, Gal's incredibly tough, and he can take the punishment, but uh, I really hope he finishes up his boxing career now. Because the one thing you don't want to... He's come out of the sport very, very wealthy, and good luck to him, but, mate, you also got to be healthy. And uh, boxing, you know, it's, if you're in the sport for too long, it can be a dangerous sport because of all the knocks to the head. So it'll be a great thing for Gal to, uh, to pull out now and uh, go, you know, go away and probably just go focus on media commentary because he's very good at it. Yeah, very good. So just before we let uh, Gal go, why do we hate him? <laughs> I think... And he's just, he's just proudly from New South Wales. He's proudly Australian. And he desperately wants to win. And most importantly, he speaks what's on his mind. He's an absolute media darling because he gives you commentary that's not black. It's black and white and it's not grey. Look to most sports people nowadays, they've all had, you know this well, Smitty, they've all had their media training and they won't say anything controversial. Where if Gal doesn't like a bloke, he tells you. He does what he has to do to sell his fights. And uh, he did the same in State of Origin when he was playing that and did the same for Cronulla. He just doesn't take a backward step. And some people like that and some people don't. But I can tell you, knowing the guy from up close, particularly in the last sort of year and a half, we've had quite a bit to do with each other. We're not not we catch up and have cups of tea, but we uh, we talk on the phone quite a bit. And made his commitment to his family is nothing short of amazing. And his commitment to his training and his work, you know, he's a real uh, example of not just physical toughness, but mental toughness. And I think, you know, all sports will look up to mentally tough people. And when it comes to, uh, and you'd know this, Better than anyone, Smithy, is that boxing's not a—it's not a team sport. You know, you can't uh, you can't make a, like a Labrador and blood them a blind like the rugby league players do and the rugby union players do when they get a bit tired. So uh, you know, Gal's about as tough as it comes, and he's he's proven it across two sports. He's not exactly the biggest man on the planet, but he's certainly got one of the biggest hearts. So just um, the SBW, the Sunny Bill Williams uh, fight with Paul uh, Paul Gallen won't eventuate in your mind, no. I don't think so. I think Sonny Bill's doing his best to avoid it or until uh, it'll be offered to Gal when Sonny Bill knows that he can win, you know, and uh, that's probably coming very close. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try and bring him out of retirement next year and make there be big money in it. And what, what Sonny Bill's trying to do is get a bigger share of the pie, you know, so uh, I, I can't see it happening. And at the end of the day, they've got real boxers over here. You know, like you got George Cambosis is, uh, is a unified champion. He's fighting in Melbourne soon in front of 40,000. You've got Tim Zoo's going very well. You've got Justice Hooney. You've got Jaya Bataille who fights for a world title on the Gold Coast very soon. So uh, the days of the football players hogging the limelight over here, I think, will slowly diminish. But, uh, of course, when you've got celebrity, mate, people want to see you, uh, for whatever reason, get in the ring and do what you do. So, Dino, there is another dynasty, uh, of course, continuing in Australian boxing too, and that's uh, the the Zoo family uh, uh, dynasty Nikita the other night, uh, of course, brother of Tim's and both sons of Costas. I mean, this is an incredible story as well. Yeah, it is, Smitty. You know, Tim's who he's done, they've done very, very well in the marketing department and choosing his opponents. It's going to be fascinating to see 
He's now the WBO mandatory. It's going to be fascinating to see how he goes when he gets a truly world-class opponent up. And his last fight, he got dropped in the first round, got up to win the fight. But the guy that he was fighting didn't exactly punch big and wasn't exactly the world's greatest fighter. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes at the very, very top level. Nikita Zhu, the other night, looked very strong. He uh, came out and I think he won in the first round against a guy who was 5-0. So it was a good result for Nikita. Uh, there are, you know, there's lots of rumours around Australian boxing that he's been dropping sparring on a number of occasions, and mate, that's, you know, I'm sure he'll get better and get past that. But uh, yeah, it's looking very, very strong. And of course, there's a son, both sons of the famous Kostasu, who uh, was a world champion over here and much embraced and much loved by the Australian public. Interesting. Uh, look, Dino, you are of course uh, part of the introduction to the world of boxing, really, uh, on a professional uh, basis for Joseph Parker, a very young Joseph Parker. Um, now they're, they're, they're mooting this fight between Joseph Parker and Joe Joyce one do you think it'll happen two how do you think it would go I think it definitely happens I saw the other day they're talking about the, in fact yesterday they're talking about a two or three fight deal which makes a lot of sense and that would suggest that Frank Warren who Joe Joyce is with is worried about his charge uh, not being able to win the fight um, I think Joe Joyce is uh, in the WBO is number one Joe Parker is number two so if they fight each other It'll be for the mandatory, so it's for enormous stakes because to win, the fight for the world title now at heavyweight is worth you know millions and millions of dollars. So uh, it's a big deal for Joe Parker. I think he's more than capable of beating Joe Joyce. And uh, if that fight does happen, they're talking about early June or July, uh, it will be a massive fight for Joe, and I think he's more than capable of winning it. Dino, on the heavy, staying on the heavyweights, uh, it may be uh, the end of uh, Tyson Fury in the ring for all intents and purposes. You, you never quite know because uh, he, he could be lured back, um, the Gypsy King. Uh, he's right up your alley, this bloke, because not only is he a terrific boxer with a great record, uh, he's a showman as well. There's a show about him, which is exactly what you love to see. Uh, Dino, uh, he did say... Uh, I believe I should be regarded as uh, one of the greatest boxers of all time in the heavyweight division. Do you agree with that? I do. You know, like he's six foot seven, six foot eight. He's got amazing boxing skills. He's been dropped a couple of times and gets back up. You know, he's had all sorts of trials and tribulations. He's a great showman, so he's unbeaten. You know, and if he, and I don't think for one second you've seen the last of Tyson Fury. Uh, in the media spotlight. One, I expect him to do some WWE stuff, or WWF as it's now called. Uh, and I also expect him to probably, you know, he might take on that Francis Ngano from the uh, from the UFC. He's a heavyweight champ over there. But he, I think he will be lured back into the ring because it was only a couple of months ago he's saying, there's no place where I'm happier than when I'm training for boxing in the ring. And uh, he's a, a guy who uh, has got well-documented mental health issues. He's, he's celebrated the fact that he's got those. He's gone out and talked many, many times on, you know, to people who are encouraged to try and get help for mental health issues. He's been, a ma- I think, a wonderful advocate uh, for that side of things. And uh, I do think we'll see Tyson Fury again, and I do think he's one of the all-time greats. And I do think that even the likes of the great Muhammad Ali at six foot two, I think he was, would struggle, or six foot three would struggle uh, with Tyson Fury. And most certainly Mike Tyson, he wouldn't be able to hit him because he just... It's such a big range, so I think the statement's fair. What are your major projects at the moment, Dean? I have way too many projects on Ian Smith. After two years of COVID and sort of cancelling fights and whatever, I've got about eight, nine fights coming up, big, maybe more than ten fights in the next eight months. 
and we just uh, just got to get them done. We're over here in Australia. I'm coming back to New Zealand. We I think it's been well documented. We're going to be doing quite for life again over there. Uh, so we got lots going on, Reggie and uh, us, Reggie Smithy, and um, you know. So yeah, it's we're, it's exciting. We're Jai Apatai, who's a cruiserweight, is fighting for the world title over here uh, in July too. I got Justice Hooty is lining up against a guy. Might have uh, dropped. Oh, can't, we can't get uh, Dean through. I, I can't hear him anyway, but hopefully he's still there. And there's a couple of questions I really want to ask him. So um, we might just um, try and call him back if that's possible, fellas, or get him back up on air. Um, because there's one or two things uh, I really would like to, to ask Dino before we let him go. So, um, yeah, he's busy. Oh, of course he's busy. He's got so much on. I mean, he always did have a lot on um, when I worked with him uh, in radio in a previous station. Uh, he was always, always going to business meetings. Um, he was always meeting people to try and arrange things. Um, so hopefully we've, we've got him back. Dino, sorry, we lost you there, mate. And uh, we lost you at a crucial stage. Uh, because I was, when, I was just saying to the, the folks uh, listening in that when I worked with you previously, um, you were a very busy guy, of course, but you, you had this young son, uh, Liam, who you were very, very proud of, uh, loved him to death, of course, you used to bring him up uh, every half hour about what he was up to. Um, so I'd I, I just like to know what Liam Lonigan is up to now. Liam Lonigan, can you hear me okay? I'm sheltering from the, from, I'm on a bl- uh, blustery, wind, windy Gold Coast at the moment. Liam Lonigan's yep. over here like, working with me, Smitty. We, we work together every single day. Hold on a second. Alrighty, sorry about that, mate. I'm just hiding behind a barbecue to try and get out of the window. How's that? <laughs> yeah, you don't hide behind many. No, that's a very fair point. It's been a safe. I'm as fat as a house. I do like the Gold Coast. Right, Liam Lonigan, he's working with me, mate. We're up and down the, uh, the coast, east coast of Australia doing what we do. And he also does quite a bit of stand-up comedy, would you believe? And uh, he's very good at it. I haven't uh, been allowed to go and see him uh, do the comedy as yet, and I will be at some stage. But, yeah, so, mate, he's busy as all heck with me, and we're having a good time doing it. Did I, did I Google the same Liam Lonigan who's been on a, uh, a reality show or of, of that kind of thing? Because uh, the, the bloke that I Googled was a hell of a good-looking young man, um, and, and it said he was a boxing promoter, etc. I, I assume that there aren't too many Liam Lonigans doing that. And if he is such a good-looking young man, his mother must have been a beautiful woman. It's fair to say, Smithy, in her day, she, and even today, she's still a beautiful woman. Liam definitely got the looks off mum. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, it's great to know that he's successful. Dana, we cannot let you go without uh, perhaps a cursory talk uh, about the Warriors. Uh, going through two tumultuous times over here at the moment under Nathan Brown. They copped it this week big time because of their performance against Paul Gallon's Sharks. They've given, look, the one thing the Warriors are, and they always have been, is they're consistent with their inconsistencies. To lose 70-10 to 10 against Melbourne, turn around, come back and have a win. I can't, was it the Tigers, I think? And then they turn around against Cronulla, with Cronulla down to 11 men at one stage, managed to lose by 20 points which they probably would have lost by 40 had Cronulla had their bloody full complement on for the game. I think they have to have a serious... This is systemic, Reggie, um, Ian. And uh, my personal opinion, right, I read a great article by Chris Ratu. He says, yeah, maybe it's time to have a look at Cameron George and the coach, Nathan Brown. Here's what I can tell you. You've got to give the coach time, 
settle in and, and do his job. And I think that's a good two to three years. But there are two key positions in this organization, as in with every organization, if you want to be successful. You've got to have the right CEO. You have to have the right coach. If you can't make the top eight two or three years in a row, mate, gas them, move on, because I'm telling you, they've had, they've had no success now for upwards of maybe 10 years. Uh, they haven't been consistently in the eight, and that's, you know, that's a minimum requirement to success. So I think uh, the blowtorch needs to come on both Cameron George and Nathan Brown. Having said that, if they can turn it around and make the eight this year, we'll make that we'll buy them a bit of a reprieve, but you've got to have a serious look at it. Dino, always great to catch up with you and uh, find out what you're up to um, and uh, find out what Liam's up to. That's even more revealing, to be fair, and your views on the boxing in the league. As always, mate, look after yourself over there. Stay well uh, and keep jogging. Thank you very much, Smitty. I've got to apologise for calling you Reg. A good mate of mine, Mike Regal, rings me every Friday, and I was speaking to him just before you, so I got this mixed up. It's a trouble when you get older, Smitty. I'm 56 years of age, and my brain's going. It's not good. Try being 65, brother. Try being 65. Fair point. Hopefully I'll get there. <laughs> okay, mate. Dino, always great to catch up with you, pal. Uh, stay out of the wind over there. Thank you for your time this morning. Great. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah. Yes, 9.28, and don't forget to join uh, McGuerin and Greg O'Connor every Sunday from 12 for coverage of all the harness racing action from across New Zealand on Trot's Talk, uh, all thanks to New Zealanders, uh, all the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand. That's uh, Sunday between 12 and 1, Trot's Talk. Our subject today for you to text in, double eight double three. The Baz thing, of course, uh, continue to get your thoughts on Baz. Um, incredible, it's an incredible honour actually apart from everything else, the fact that he's going to coach against us and what have you uh, the English cricket team is one of the great uh, sporting teams uh, in history, it goes back a long long way with a proud tradition, not just the Ashes of course, but um, they are an institutional side and to be given the honour uh, as a Kiwi boy uh, to go over there and uh, coach them is, is a truly a highly respected position, and Baz is obviously very highly respected to get it. So I'd uh, love to uh, have your feedback on that, double eight, double three, as well as what you think uh, is going to happen over the weekend. One, the Warriors. Two, the Crusaders. Three, the Blues. All got really interesting matchups. Blues against the Reds, to, um, yes, tomorrow night, 7.05. We've got the Crusaders against the Brumbies in Canberra. Uh, Brumbies got a couple of players out, so what do we think about that? So... Your thoughts on and uh, predictions for over the weekend, double eight, double three, uh, and any reflections uh, on Baz and the new role that he's about to take up. Uh, we have got football uh, coming up after the break with Jacob Spoonley, and that gives me the opportunity to, to tell you as well, we have got live com- commentary of the FA Cup final. Live commentary of the FA Cup final this Sunday morning from 3.15am. 3.15am, live coverage of the FA Cup final. What a beauty that will be. Uh, Here's Ottawa with the uh, 9.30 update. here on SENZ and in terms of football the world's a great place this morning because of course uh, Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0 Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0 I repeat that and we'll do for a few more times uh, throughout the next two and a half hours 
but tomorrow night, of course, uh, it's uh, time for the Wellington Phoenix. They've had a chance to extend their season further into the A-League's playoffs as they square off against Western United in an elimination final. Uh, lose and the runners over, win, they'll be setting themselves a date with uh, Melbourne City. It's part of what will be a thrilling weekend for football fans in this part of the world, FA Cup as well, EPL coming to a, a climax. It's just a cool time to love the game, and one who does and talks about it very well as, as well as uh, Jacob Spoonley, former All-White, now football commentator. Uh, Jacob, good morning to you. Uh, the Phoenix, eh? Um, it's it's the, what you aim for, I suppose, when you kick the ball for the first time. Uh, to start the season, you want to get to this point, and they've managed to do it. Morning, Smitty. It's great to hear about that Tottenham result, mate. I'm sure you'll repeat it through the course of this interview as well. Uh, just to add to what you've got there in terms of the buffet of football, we're now in the run into the World Cup qualifier as well, mate. So we've got that Peru game in June to look forward to. And if the Phoenix win on the weekend, there is a home fixture as well. So it's going to come thick and fast over the next wee while. But you're absolutely right. This is what Phoenix Warriors do at the start of the season. They've had to manage their way through some really arduous challenges in the form of COVID playing no home games apart from the two that we saw recently. And they've also had to deal with a, a huge injury list. But the theme for the Phoenix heading into this weekend, into, heading into that really important game against Western United, is the return of players. We've seen the return of Renato Piscopo over the last couple of weeks. Gary Hooper started against Melbourne City um, earlier this week. Clayton Lewis came on the second half, and there are there is chat about Josh Shatiro, the club's current top goal scorer, returning for this weekend. So the important working pieces for Ufa Pale are starting to come together just at the right time. So, Jacob, I'm taking it from um, the positive way you're talking about this, is that you give this season from the Phoenix, uh, even if they lost tomorrow night, you would give it a, a massive tick? It's not often that you say that off-the-field issues uh, should impact the way in which you view on-field performance, but it is undeniable um, that the challenges that the Phoenix have had to overcome before they've stepped foot on the field um, have meant that this season is already an achievement. For me, it's a definite pass mark, particularly when you look at the performance of the Warriors and the Breakers, Kiwi teams that have had to go across the Tasman and do similar things and simply haven't got anywhere near what the Phoenix have done over the last two seasons, Smitty. So for me, that's a pass mark. Um, but to your point, why are we excited about this weekend? We're up against the Western United team that finished third. In short, the Phoenix have more than a fighting chance. They have beaten Western three times already this season. Over the course of their short history with Western, the seven confrontations that they've had, they've only ever lost once, which is that first game three seasons ago. And on paper, over the last seven games, which forms around about a third of the season, Western have the worst form of anyone in the top six. The Phoenix have acquired four more points than Western have in that period, and that's a period in which the Phoenix have had to manage their way through a horrific injury list. So I'm looking at this in terms of the big picture and then also combining that with the fact that the Phoenix have those exciting prospects coming back into um, the fold for Tale. And I'm thinking this is going to be uh, one that Kiwi football fans will look forward to. Three dollars seventy-five, three bucks seventy-five. The Phoenix. That's on. That's on our uh, betting systems over here. So that's quite incredible value. Look, uh, Jacob, you know what finals footy is all about. You, you pretty much. I, I know that we've beaten them uh, on a couple of occasions. We've owned them a bit this this season. But 
you know what finals footy is all about is it's a slightly different mindset tell us tell us a wee bit about that a one-off occasion well you're right smitty it does come down to basically 90 minutes it doesn't really matter what you've done earlier in the season you're going to have to figure it out over the course of the 90 minutes and there is an issue for that with the phoenix so there's a duality to this phoenix team this year if they go ahead they win the game if they go behind even by a goal they have not picked up a point. Oh, sorry, they've lost all the games in which they've gone behind. They've drawn a couple of those, but the majority they have lost. So it's going to be a real question of what happens early doors and how Tully approaches this game. So there could be a cautious approach which he may adopt, and that would be using the 5-2-2-1 formation that uh, he has used in order to manage uh, the team while they've been uh, suffering those, that, that horrific injury period. Um, or he could go back to his 4-2-2-2. So I think it comes down to the way in which he views um, how to attack Western and how best to utilise um, the Phoenix's youthful exuberance. They are the team, the youngest team in the competition this season, which means the youngest team in the top six. And by contrast, Western's the oldest. So it's going to come down to, in terms of this 90 minutes, how Western manage the game and how they use that experience, but equally how they manage their way through a couple of tired legs and how the Phoenix then bring that, that youthfulness, that explosivity that we've seen at times in this last part of the season. So just a quick one for you, Smitty. Sandoval, Hooper, Ball and Piscopo have only played together three times this season and the biggest period in which they've played is against West United where the Phoenix came out 2-1 on top. So if we see that forward together and we see the Phoenix go ahead, I think that every chance to win this over the course of 90 minutes. Jacob Spoonley, uh, we're talking to folks about this uh, intriguing encounter. Uh, Saturday, 9.45 New Zealand time at Amy Park. It's the Phoenix, our Phoenix against the Western United. Uh, Jacob, can we just go a little bit more in-depth on two or three of the individuals involved for us tomorrow night? The return of Clayton Lewis last week seemed timely um, and, a, and a boost to the squad. I would say Clayton Lewis is one of the two most important returnees. Yes, it was great to see Gary Hooper out there against Melbourne City. He really did lay the foundation in terms of build-up play and retaining the ball going forward. But Clayton Lewis adds some steel to what has been a rather soft centre midfield. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that to point the finger at anybody, because that's been the position that's probably been hit the hardest in terms of injuries. They lost uh, captain Alex Rufa earlier in the season. But what Clayton Lewis brings uh, is a range of passing and a control. And so he will control the rhythm for the Phoenix at times. You'll see him slow the game down. You'll see him try and manipulate situations in order to open up spaces and pockets further up the field. Uh, And he will do that by going side to side. He does have the ability to change gears, though, and go direct. So we've seen his passing come to the fore, particularly going over defences. So if you've got Josh Acheria and his pace um, up front and he's asked to start the game potentially with the likes of Gary Hooper then you will see Clayton Lewis looking to exploit the spaces in behind Lacroix, who is uh, getting on in years, and Western United don't have Nikolai Topol Stanley from what we're hearing. His injury may mean that he is out. And if that's the case, then there'll be uh, John Aloisi will be asking quite a lot of a younger centre-back to come in, uh, somebody that hasn't had much game time because of the settled nature of the Western United team. And I think Clayton is exactly the sort of person that you want to be supplying the runs to exploit that uh, naivety David Ball's been an interesting story talk about playing through the pain barrier um, his, his, uh, his ability to front up 
uh, with a, a toe injury of, of that scale. I mean, it's quite it's been quite incredible and and, and, and quite inspirational, really. Yeah, absolutely. It speaks to not only his quality as a professional, um, but I've referred to him as the designated adult of this Phoenix team because they have been so young at times, but also because he leads by example. So he is going through that pain barrier. He's been in a moon boot from Monday to Saturday most weeks, and then he comes out of the moon boot and gets a horrible needle uh, into his big toe in order to numb it for a game so that he can go through at least 60 minutes and at times has been asked to do more by Kale. His industry has two real key elements. He wins the ball high up the field. So he's got the most turnovers in the final third for the Phoenix, which means that when they do press, it is often triggered off the back of the movement of David Ball. And then once he does win the ball, he's also responsible, which is really surprising considering that they've got the Scopo and Clayton Lewis um, and Gail Sandoval on the team as well. But Ball's responsible for the most key passes, which means he sets up an opportunity or provides an assist. And we've actually seen him assist several times over the last three games. Uh, he sets up Sam Sutton to get that really important goal to go ahead against Western United. And he also set up Ben Wayne to get another goal against Western United. So he combined or laid the platform for a really important six points to secure the Phoenix in this top six. He is probably the unsung hero, and I'm hoping that he gets the chance to shine on Saturday night against Western United because these are the games that you want to be involved in, and this is the reason why he's gone through the pain barrier. Speaking of uh, unsung heroes, although he is getting a bit of publicity now, the, cu- the custodian, your former role, of course, the goalkeeper, uh, and Ollie Sales' performance leading into this. What I've been disappointed about, Smithy, is the fact that no one's asking who used to train Ollie back in like a cold night and only hung up for Century United, where he really got the uh, experience and, the, and who guided him through those really formative years. That really has, uh, hasn't been, um, hasn't been much attention paid to that. But uh, look, Ollie's had to, had to wait for his chance. A lot to be made about the fact that he sat behind Stefan Marinovic um, up until recently. But once he has got that opportunity, um, he's really taken it with both hands. And what I mean by that is not only his performance on the field, but the fact that he has asked Tully for responsibility. And that is the, why, the reason why he was given the vice-captaincy and asked to support Alex Roofer at the start of the season and why players like Gary Hooper, David Ball, potentially didn't uh, get that responsibility. So he's actually actively gone out and sought it from Tully. Now, in terms so- of his performance on the gone. No, 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 you, you carry on. I was just going to ask, who was that guy that coached him? Who was that guy? Uh, it, might, it might have been somebody um, who had the first name Jacob, last name Spoonley. But we'll get into that later on with the Tottenham result, I think, Smitty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, carry on with what you... Yeah, carry on with your theme, yeah. Yeah, no. look, Ollie's performance on the field has been really special. And he's, we know he's been monitored by a number of teams over in Europe. So this might be the last game if the Phoenix are unsuccessful, that we see Ollie in the black and yellow for the Wellington Phoenix, which won't be a bad thing. He's also got, he's been very open about this, he wants that starting spot uh, when the All-Whites take on Costa Rica uh, next month. So he's got that ambition and he's backing it up with his on-field play. The issue that I've got is that Jamie Young and Ollie Sale have made the most saves this season uh, out of anybody in the A-League and that's concerning because it means that um, Ollie's going to have to deal with some chances for Western United. 
Brown, uh, I think, over the course of the 90 minutes. So um, he's going to be asked to come up big again, and hopefully we don't have to see him put in a performance like we did against Western United and against Brisbane Raw earlier in the season when he made 11 saves in the game, Smitty, nine diving saves, and had to deal with something like 30 crosses. So we want to see a bit more of a comprehensive defensive display. Adelaide uh, versus Central Coast Mariners on Sunday. Can you pick between those two teams? I think those are the two most exciting teams in the top six. Yes, you've got the two Melbourne teams, City and Victory, sitting at the top of the table and waiting for their opportunity to play finals football. But Nick Montgomery has the Central Coast Mariners team flying. They are on, um, uh, they've got unbelievable form. They've got the best form of anyone in the top six. They've acquired the most points in the last third of the season. Um, and the Jason Cummings, Marco Areña and Moresh combination up front is one really to behold. Um, not, there was a question about whether or not he would take the mantle on from Statchurch last year. In actual fact, he's approved upon it, Smithy. So you combine that with the fact that Adelaide United potentially are the most, have the most potency in terms of individual talent in the competition. Craig Goodwin is odds on for that Johnny Warren, Johnny Warren medal. Um, and the other thing is, if you're watching this game, do not change the channel once it gets to 80, 85 minutes because Adelaide United are absolute freaks uh, in Sergi time. They score or have scored the most goals after 90 minutes. And the Phoenix will know that because they scored an equaliser in the 93rd minute to salvage a draw against them earlier in the season. So watch this one. It's going to be explosive from minute one to minute 90. Former mentor of uh, Ollie Sale, Jacob Spoonley. <laughs> Uh, we, we, abs- we absolutely thank you. We thank you for your, uh, your preview, actually. Um, a very in-depth uh, preview as well. Um, wish you all the best uh, over the weekend as well. And as you leave, just say this one more time. Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. I want to hear you say it. Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. Mind the gap, Smithy. Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. Cheers. Good on you, Jacob. Thanks for that update on the EPL as well. Have a great weekend, mate, watching footy. It's 9.47 here on SENZ. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've asked you for your text this morning too on double eight double three. what you uh, really feel about uh, Baz. Um, how does how does it uh, affect your thinking on uh, the series coming up between England and New Zealand, starting on June the second, first Test match at Lords, of course, followed by Trent Bridge, and then Headingley. Uh, we'd appreciate those as uh, well as your predictions for the weekend. Uh, Jared's texted and said, "What a character Dino is, top chat with your mate. We can hear the respect for each other. Yep, plenty of mutual respect there. He certainly speaks his mind, and he'll never be uh, not accused of doing that." Dean Lonigan. Um, every now and then gets him into a bit of hot water uh, but by and large um, that is the way he goes uh, so respect, that's from Jared. yeah, absolute respect there um, and uh, Graham from Marlborough formerly from Northland of course uh, that's his, uh, the way he signs himself uh, Graham, thanks for your text this morning interesting one too, quite deep uh, Morning Smithy, firstly I'm a proud New Zealand sports fan so I hope Brendan fails miserably the reason being, if uh, they lose, we have a better chance of defending our Test Championship. That is absolutely true. Um, if we win away from home against England, that uh, bolsters our, our ratings as well. But he also goes on to say, uh, the one thing that worries me is the pressure his young family will be under. Uh, we all know what the British media are like, so you, you hope they're protected and still has a family and a marriage when his time is done. Uh, I don't think you have to worry too much there. 
uh, Graham. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's not Lady Di like the job. Um, he won't be under that scrutiny and that pressure, but certainly in sporting terms, uh, he'll, he'll be copping a wee bit. Uh, I think the Blues and the Crusaders win, says Graham, and the Warriors lose. Thank you, Graham. Thank you for predictions and your uh, concerning text there. 9.53 here on SENZ Multi next. Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Actually quite happy uh, I didn't come to pass yesterday Because uh, I had Tottenham and Arsenal to draw Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0 Just in case you haven't heard it uh, No, for the one for this weekend The Bulldogs to beat the Knights At $1.74 first up Crusaders to beat the Brumbies At $1.42 Milwaukee Bucks to beat the Celtics at a dollar eighty, and here's the go. I'm going with my heart and my brain on the back of what Jacob Spoonley has told me as well. Phoenix three dollars seventy five. Phoenix three dollars seventy five to beat Western United. Uh, that multi comes up at sixteen dollars sixty seven. Bulldogs into Crusaders. Milwaukee Bucks into our very own Phoenix sixteen dollars sixty seven. We'll all be happy on Monday morning if that comes to pass. Sevens Rugby is next. Clark Laidlaw will be talking to him. Thing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 and the All Blacks uh, Sevens yesterday named their side for the next two legs of the Sevens World Series. That will see the team travel to France. They face Scotland, USA and Australia in their pool. In Toulouse, following that, it's on to England for the London Sevens. It's a busy time for the team in the lead-up to the Birmingham Commonwealth Games this July and August. Uh, where they look to defend their gold medal from 2018. And joining us now, before hopping on a plane, is uh, coach, head coach Clark Laidlaw. Uh, Clark, thanks very much for giving us a few moments bef- before you uh, fly out. How good is it actually to be on that, uh, on that plane and heading away overseas, travelling to a relatively free world again? <laughs> yeah, good morning. It's, um, yeah, it's a nice feeling to... I guess come back from playing rugby and you know and playing the last two tournaments and then having a training block and actually going to play again. Um, we don't realise that's probably what we've missed. You know the the natural rhythm of a rugby team where you where you play and review and then train again and get ready to play again. So, so there's a real excitement in the group to to jump on the flights today. Clark, how do you prioritise this year of sevens uh, rugby? Is the Commonwealth Games the major goal, the re- retaining the gold medal, or is the World Series around it? No, obviously with missing the World Series at the start of the year, um, you know, that took us out of, of the running and actually winning a World Series. So, so yeah, we're, we're definitely focusing on, on Com Games and World Cup. You know, there are two of the three critical events over the four years cycle of Olympics. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of thought and, and energy preparing the team towards the Commonwealth Games. But, as you know, um, when, you, when you play for this team and, and play in a black jersey, then the next tournament's the most important. So, you know, the, the planning and you know, some of the, the physical preparation is certainly heading towards uh, Birmingham in July. But, you know, rugby and in the short term, the team's focus is to, to play really well next weekend. OK, so in this particular squad, you're without Kurt Baker, Andrew Newstub, Moses Lau, and, of course, Tim Mickelson. 
that's a hell of a lot of experience to do without. So tell us about uh, the replacements and the firepower and experience you've got uh, going into this particular two-leg operation. Yeah, you're not wrong. You know, missing missing some experience is, um, you know, it's never ideal, but there's only one way to get experience, and that's playing. So, you know, we welcome back Sione, Sione Malia, who got his first child. Uh, he stayed at home the last time, so he's he's not been injured, so he's, he's raring to go. Amanaki Nicole, who was at the Olympics, has also come back in from a, a slight injury picked up in Fiji. Um, you know, so those, those two boys have got heaps of experience. A real mix, I guess, with, with Leroy, uh, Leroy Carter. You know, we've got Brady Rush, uh, Caleb Tangatau, Kitty on a bye, who who all made their debuts in the last two tournaments. So they get a you know a chance to show that consistency and see if they can take some of the lessons from you know the first two tournaments into these two. And then a debut with with Roderick. So Roderick Solo, um, you know, came through Ignite Sevens MVP a couple of years ago at the Ignite tournament when it was up in Auckland, but unfortunately got an ACL injury that year. And he showed some real resilience down in Wellington to to sort of find his way back from that um, down there. And he's actually he's actually quite a cool story. He got in touch with us asking how, how he could make the team about six months ago. And we actually had a spare spot for, a, for somebody to come and train with us. So because of his eagerness, to, to be involved in sevens, and we knew, you knew from McKnight how, how good he could be. We brought him up, and um, within two weeks, he convinced us to, to give him a contract. So we're quite excited to see Roderick go. He's, he's got awesome footwork, good defender, um, he's got a really nice skill set on attack. So, so yeah, it's, it's quite a you know quite an exciting group with with some real mix of experience with with the top group, and then these young bucks get a chance to to see what they can do back to back tournaments. Clark, you, as you said, uh, you missed the first uh, part of the World Series, which effectively rules you out of claiming the title. But uh, as soon as you got back into it, um, you, you really did achieve. I mean, you lost to Fiji in the Singapore final, but uh, by the mere, um, <coughs> the, mere, the mere fact that you did that meant that you pretty much got up to speed quite quickly, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were clunky the first week. We, we battled hard. Um, we showed some real scramble and defence, um, you know, and then that semi-final against against Ireland to execute a couple of tries in the last sort of minute and a half to to make the final. We were really, you know, really proud of that effort, and I think we just ran out with a little bit of gas uh, against Fiji. They started to get the final well. We made two mistakes. Then it was two tries in, and we had an opportunity to you know, score to make it two tries to one at half time. We actually turned the ball over and they scored again. So. You know, we know that it's fine lines, you know, in the semi-final to get through, and then it's fine lines to lose in the final. And ironically, we we thought we actually played better rugby the next week. Um, we just had a couple of really soft moments against Australia in the quarter-final, where again we were two tries up, and then we missed an opportunity to score on half time. And, and yeah, then you know a lot of momentum in the second half, a few bad decisions at the breakdown, a couple of couple of tries got them back in, and you know they got that try right at the end. So. You know, we were, you know, we were reasonably happy with, you know, not playing for two years, having such a new group. You know, there was new, new management behind the scenes, which, without any development, sevens, you know, or on any development opportunity, we have to learn a lot of that on the World Series. So that that can be difficult, but you know, it's what it is. So, so that was good. You know, we've got some good lessons. Uh, we've got a bit more rhythm 
Um, I feel moving towards Toulouse this week, both the management behind the scenes, you know, the coaching, but also the players feel like there's a real rhythm to to how we've trained the last sort of two, two, three weeks. Clark, I've always wondered what it would be like to coach a, a, a sevens team or uh, maybe any rugby team against a, a Fiji side who uh, uh, who get in the mood because uh, I would imagine you have your strategies, etc. But sometimes uh, when they get uh, to that frame of mind and they're just on fire, I mean, you just throw your hands up in the air, I would imagine, because uh, that is the nature of, of Fiji. I mean, hot, cold, look out sort of uh, thing. I mean, what's it like? coming up against VG, I've got to say. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a bigger challenge in rugby. Um, you know, playing South Africa in 15s in South Africa, or the Ball Blacks here. There are obviously huge challenges in, in world rugby, but to beat Fiji, as you say, when they're, when they're on fire um, and they've got, you know, they've got the players and, and the firepower they have to, to really hurt you from any, any situation in the game... It's a huge, huge challenge. Um, but, man, it's a bloody exciting challenge and something we, we love. But there's always opportunities in the game that you have a chance to, to stem the tide and, you know, and, and get on the front foot. But it's such a, a fine line. If you miss those opportunities and give them you know, back-to-back sets, um, if they get three possessions in a row, it's, it's really difficult to stop them scoring. So, we, we, you know, we... We're really clear how we want to play them, but you're right. Some days, you know, if that final was a good example. We had the ball twice in the first half and gave it away, and then another chance before half time and gave that away. And that is not good enough against Fiji. Um, you, you can't give them repeat sets. You can't give them back to back tries at the start of the game. And you know, we know that at the times we win, you know, we usually got off to a good start and and um, you know either get in front or really tight. But if they get a couple of tries that you know they're always good for another score in the second half, so that's, you know, it's already putting you under pressure to score three or four times. So it is an amazing challenge. You know, we, we genuinely enjoy it. You know, it's, um, and it's been proven. It's, it's basically 50-50 over the last 20 years or so, but we've certainly got a little bit of run on us at the minute. You know, we've obviously won the final. Um, we played them across in Fiji and lost a couple of times and then, you know, lost that final. So we cross over Fiji and France day two or day three in Toulouse so we might get an opportunity on, on day three over there to, to see if we can as you say put our tactics onto them and, and put them under pressure So Clark uh, Scotland, USA and Australia that looks like uh, quite a tidy pool to, to warm up in and uh, particularly Australia who uh, along with their women's team as well seem to be uh, getting it together at the right time yeah, I think the men's team is probably the best team they've had since 2018, leading into the Commonwealth Games the last time. They had a really strong side, and they were really unlucky. They lost the last play of the game against England in the quarter-final um, up in the Gold Coast. And we played England in the final. I was actually really pleased that, that England won that game, not Australia. I think they took a bit of beating that day. So, yeah, they're, they're switched on. You know, I think the addition of Chucky Stannard, to their coaching group, he was a smart rugby player, a real competitor. Um, you know, he finished under tough circumstances in 2008 when he, when he had to retire. But he's he's a really smart sevens player, and you can see that in the game. They've got a lot of speed. Uh, they've changed the profile of their group a little bit. They're a lot bit smaller, but uh, pretty dynamic. And they've got ball in hand. So you know, that was a great example when 
we had the ball, we scored tries in the first half, but they had the ball, they scored tries. So you're right. It'll be a good test for us against them again to, to see if we can go through, you know, either in top place or, or second place in the group. Clark, uh, Commonwealth Games not that far away. I mean, uh, it'll come quicker than a lot of people think as well. And you are without, as we said, uh, Baker, Newstub, Moses Leo and, and Tim Mickelson. And anyone that follows Sevens knows that is a truckload of experience. When it comes to uh, finalising um, your side for the Commonwealth Games, uh, are these guys going to be available? And maybe not Newstub, but um, are these guys going to be available? Mm-hmm. And how close are you to formulating your, your squad for Birmingham? Yeah, well, you're right. Three, three of them will be available. Uh, Andrew's unfortunately picked up an ACL injury, so he, he'll he be out for that 9 to 12 month uh, period. So he's, he's booked in for his operation in two weeks' time. So, you know, that's a huge blow for, for him, and it's a huge blow for us. Um, you know, he's a genuine world class sevens player when he's on, and uh, we're really feeling for him. But, you know, we know he'll get the support to come back there next year. And, and we're confident Moses, Moses had a slight hairline fracture um, he picked up in Vancouver, but he's, he's back walking, he's, he's out in the moon boot, he starts running in 10 days' time. And both Timmy, Timmy and Pat are just really niggly sort of uh, tendon issues. Um, Tim had a knee operation, but he was back training fully. Uh, we thought he was going to be picked. Uh, we originally picked him last week for this, for this leg, but both of them are just they're sort of nursing the slight Achilles injuries that we really feel trying to go to two tournaments is not the best thing. Um, so we're confident, you know, by the time we get back, we'll be both full training and have the opportunity to stick their hand up. And Scott Curry returns. He's returning from Japan um, in two weeks' time. So he'll he'll be back in the squad um, and available for selection for Com Games World Cup also. So, so yeah, you know, the depth we're building is really exciting. Um, if we can get, you know, those senior players to be fit and healthy alongside Moses, you know, I'm really confident we've got a strong group to pick for for Birmingham later, you know, the, the end of June, beginning of July, when we pick the team. Sounds good, Clark. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. I know you're about to hop on a plane. Travel safely, uh, stay well, uh, and good luck and, uh, as you continue your build-up to Birmingham. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Clark Laidlaw there, head coach of the, um, the, the All Black Sevens. Fantastic uh, group of young men they are as well with a great culture. And, of course, they've got uh, Toulouse and then they head to London um, as they build their way through to, uh, of course, the Commonwealth Games back in the UK, back in England, in Birmingham. It is 10.17 here on SENZ. Now, we've got a panel coming up next, and it consists of Jeff McTainch, uh, from Sky Sporter, Mark Watson, jack of all trades, all over the place, Mark Watson as well, and uh, we've got a number of uh, really cool issues to talk through as we head into a very busy weekend of sport. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yes, the panel this morning consists of uh, Mark Watson, the one and only, and uh, Jeff McTainch, uh, of course, of Sky Sport fame, commentator, uh, analyst, etc. as well. Uh, so this uh, next 15 minutes or so is going to be really cool. I'll start with you, Mark Watson, uh, if I can. What was your gut feeling and your reaction when you heard that Brendan McCullum would be the England Test coach for the next four years? Game-changing. I think it's a great um, initiative from English cricket. I think it's good that they move away from that sort of conservative approach. Um, Look, I was just reading the article on Michael Vaughan, who has a few reservations 
uh, says that, look, possibly Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes are too similar. Uh, I think he, he, he says the perception of Brendan is that he's an attacking flamboyant risky. Um, he's a gambler and a bit of a lad. Um, and pretty much that's sort of almost the same impression that goes with Ben Stokes. But I, I think that's a little bit unfair. I think that might have been Brendan McCullum at various points throughout his cricketing career. But I think Brendan McCullum at 40 years of age, I think, is a lot more measured than that. Um, look, I, I think English cricket does need to take a few risks. I think they've got to adopt a more of attacking type style. I think you can play conservatively when you've got um, world-class players, um, but sometimes you've got to think outside of the square. Write the book that everybody else ends up reading. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Brendan McCullum in his early days as a cricketer. You know, I, I thought he was sort of, you know, one of those sort of all the talent, very little application, but, you know, clearly that turning point in South Africa and... Um, yeah, I think we should be really, really worried. I mean, the key focus for him will clearly be the Ashes um, next time they return to Australia, what, in about another three years' time. And, and yeah, if I'm Australia, I'd be worried too. I, I think it's a wonderful uh, initiative. Yeah, actually, Mark, the, the first uh, Ashes goers at home um, this time next year. That's the big series at home this yeah, time yeah, next year. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, but he's, I think, he's got about... But I think, yeah. I think I think winning in England, uh, winning in Australia for England is sort of yeah. the holy grail. Yeah. That Olympic gold medal, isn't it? I mean, winning at home is one thing, but winning in Australia, which they just haven't managed to do, you know, if McCullum could yeah. do that, I mean, they'll build statues of the man, won't they? Yeah, they will. They will absolutely will. Uh, they'll kick over the one of WG Grace and they'll, they'll rename it the McCullum Gates uh, as you head into Lords. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you right here and now, though, Jeff McTain, she's got a challenge because. Um, and I spoke to Brendan and texted him uh, over the last couple of days. His first priority is finding uh, an opening combination and a number three because in cricket, of course, the currency is runs. If you don't get runs at the top of the order, not much happens in your favour. Uh, what was your reaction, Jeff? Yeah, I agree with, with Mark. Uh, I, I think England cricket need to do something bold. You know, Rob Key had options. Uh, he could have gone with Gary Kirsten, proven experience in that arena, having obviously led India and uh, South Africa to world number one rankings. Uh, Simon Kadich was also uh, a, a name mentioned uh, as well. Mark Rambrakash, I, I think he was also a little bit on the fence. Maybe it was too much of a bold call. A guy who'd never coached first-class cricket, obviously coaching in the IPL with, with Calcutta. But you know, Jim Maxwell saw his comments coming out saying potentially this could be the best thing that's happened to uh, to England cricket. Uh, I mean, sort of, um, you know, Mark was alluding to it as well, that, uh, you know, Brendan, as a player, as you would have seen, Smithy, of course, too, over the years, his game did change. You know, he he had, uh, I guess, more of a temperament for batting time. We saw that, obviously, when he became the first New Zealander to score 300 runs. So the guy does have, I think, that natural attacking flair inside him. Uh, and I think, you know, with the resignation of Joe Root as well and the change, bringing those two guys together, uh, a fresh captain, a fresh coach, I think it will be great for England cricket, you know, and and um, I think too that the thing Brendan has got on his side is that he recently played, um, you know, very recently. So a lot of the players have played with him. They know him. Um, they know what he's about. And um, I think he's such a tactician. Um, but you're right, he's got a heck of a job ahead of him. Um, and what a narrative to have the Black Caps uh, over there uh, in, in, a, in a month or so's time. And then obviously that reschedule test against India then, the South Africans come. So he's got a lot of work to do, but you know him well, Smithy. I think, too, having likes of, uh, of Mike Hesson, someone like that, to lean on, um, you know, who, who did things differently and got New Zealand cricket to a different place with, with McCullum in charge, I think he'll lean on those relationships, those partnerships a lot 
uh, as he takes on this challenge. But no, I think it's exciting, and uh, and I can't wait to see how they go uh, against New Zealand. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of the most watched series. Yes, yes, Mark. Yes, Mark, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Just just one more thing. I mean, Brendan McCullum sort of reminds me a little bit like sort of um, Stephen Gerrard, who's finished his football career now coaching Aston Villa. He's just a guy who has a personality persona. Players just don't want to let him down. They just do not want to disappoint. They want to lift to the highest standards. They want to impress him. And I think Brendan McCullum brings that aura. And I think that's something that, you know, might, you know, people might underestimate in terms of what he does bring to the table. And just before we do move on, I just want to say to Jeff, because I've never spoken with you, Jeff, I think your rugby commentary is fantastic, mate. I think you're doing a stunning job, mate. Well done. I really appreciate that. I want to thank you. Yes. Yep. Well, I worked with him last week too, and he did do a fine job uh, on the Chiefs against the Brumbies. We'll come to that in a, a, a short space of time, in fact, um, Jeff McTainch. But, um, Mark Watson, uh, yesterday Staffy had Eliza McCartney on his show. It seems she's uh, looking at uh, having another crack. She wants uh, to go back and, and uh, uh, get to those Olympics, and uh, she's eyeing a return in December. Great news. Yeah, oh, look, wonderful. I mean, just brilliant. I mean, what she did in 2016, she was the darling of those Olympic Games, and suddenly you go to track and field meets around the country and everybody's getting involved in pole vault, which is just fantastic, not dissimilar to suddenly everybody getting involved in shot put. Um, and you sort of, there was a point there you're wondering whether, you know, when you look back on her career, that her finest moment might have been 2016. All sorts of problems with her Achilles tendons, but it was interesting to see that what she's just actually done is rather than so much more medical treatment, it's actually just about changing her biomechanics, strengthening certain parts of her body, changing her gait, changing the way she runs, and that has made a huge difference for her. And, um, yeah, look, you know, she's got time now between, yeah, clearly Commonwealth Games is not in her thinking, but 2024 Paris, Look, to win a medal, she's got to be jumping sort of 4 metres 80, and you can win the gold medal at 4 metres 80. It was 4 metres 80 that she jumped in 2016. And, oh, look, it's just great, isn't it? It's great for women's sport. It's great for track and field. And, um, yeah, look, well done to her, because I can't imagine just how tough the last three or four years have been in regards to going from those dizzy heights to suddenly thinking, man, will I ever, will I ever be able to uh, compete again? So, look, well done to her, and... Um, Good to see that Matt Dello's on board, um, well-known in track and field circles. And, um, yeah, look, a, a fresh coach, fresh change. We should be excited. I am excited. I absolutely do. I think she's great for the sport, uh, a great face for athletics as well, and um, it's, it certainly needs it uh, from time to time. There's no doubt about that. 10.30 here on SENZ. We're going to go to a short uh, news break with uh, Araha, and then, uh, of course, we'll come back with... Uh, Mark Watson, Jeff McTainch uh, on what we've got coming up uh, this weekend with rugby and, and rugby league as well. Here's uh, Ottawa with a nine thirty, uh, sorry, ten thirty update. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Ten thirty-two. We are with uh, Mark Watson and Jeff McTainch on the panel this morning. And uh, Jeff McTainch, uh, you called the Chiefs uh, against the Brumbies last weekend. I don't know about you. Uh, I didn't see you after the game, but I did leave the ground mightily impressed with the Brumbies. And that clash this weekend with the Crusaders looms as a classic. Yeah, I was very impressed, mate. They've uh, certainly turned a corner, haven't they, with with Dan McKellar in, in recent weeks? You know, they came to Hamilton and and beat the Chiefs up, and it doesn't happen very often, uh, particularly with the personnel 
that, uh, that Clayton McMillan had on the park. I think, as you would have seen, I think they kicked really well. Nick White had a good game plan, put them under a lot of high ball pressure. Uh, they came through, they arrived in numbers at the ruck, they cleaned well. Uh, they defended brilliantly. You would have seen the stats too. I think it was more than two to one in terms of the tackle count. Um, you know, so it was defence that won them that game. Um, but as we've seen, they've got those threats out wide, the likes of, of, of the two Toms and Wright and Banks and, and uh, a powerful midfield. This week, though, against the Crusaders, I mean, a couple of things against them. Personnel-wise, this week, no Rob Bellatini, no Noah Lolisio uh, ruled out during the week. It's a massive blow for them, uh, losing their first five-eighths and, and their real enforcer on the, on the blind side. So you take that into account. You take into the fact that Leon McDonald was in the Crusaders the last time the Brumbies beat the Crusaders. So 2009, you have to wind the clock that far back. Um, but look, back in, back in Canberra, they know if they can uh, put in a good performance uh, and, and get the win um, against a, a Crusaders side that has been championship quality the last few years, obviously, that they'll be right there to, to, to try and take that top spot off of the Blues going into the playoffs. The boost for the Crusaders, I suppose you would say, is the return of Scott Barrett in the second row with Sam Whitelock. So um, the, Crusaders, the Brumbies lose an enforcer in Valentini. The Crusaders get one back in. And Scott Barrett, um, it's going to be a fascinating contest. Uh, and I just wonder whether the absence of someone like Valentin, who carried so well in Hamilton, mm. uh, could be a potential could be a potential blow for for the Brumbies in, in the outcome. Um, we're talking to uh, Mark Watson, Jeff McTainch uh, this morning. Um, uh, Mark Watson, uh, what are you looking forward to in terms of uh, rugby this weekend? Uh, if indeed you are. Oh, no, look, I am. No, thoroughly. Look, I'm looking forward to this Crusaders game. I mean, I'm just trying to remember the last time the Crusaders went into a Super Rugby game as arguably the underdogs, and I think they do go in as the underdogs. Um, interesting to see that um, Flanganuku is on the uh, is on the bench because clearly they are aware of the kicking game of um, Nick White, and you know they do want to have George Bridge and Sebi Reese and those guys that are good underneath the high ball. Um, but, you know, I think we find out tonight um, or we find out this weekend whether the Crusaders, you know, have um, passed their peak and if, in fact, they are in decline or if they can go out there and um, make a statement uh, against the Brumbies team who, you know, uh, and like a lot of the Australian teams, have been a lot more up physical. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, I do like to see the Blues also um, play well. It'd be nice if they can back up that performance last week against the Rebels, mm. they can do it against the Reds tomorrow night at Eden Park and just really well and truly secure themselves that top spot because I think if they do end up making the top spot and they do get the home advantage, I, I think they'll be, you know, I, I think they'll go and it's clear favourites for taking out the Super Rugby competition. I, I can't see the, even the Brumbies beating the Blues at Eden Park. It's uh, 2022, as we all know, and it's been announced, uh, Mark Watson, that USA will host the Rugby World Cup for men in 2031 and the Women's Rugby World Cup in 2033 in that bid, and we hear it all the time, to globalise the game. Um, I would imagine the money's there, but what about the following? Yeah, they're going to have to be really, really smart on where they um, strategically put these games. I mean, places like Colorado have a really big club rugby following. Um, there are certain pockets in America where the game is much, much stronger. Um, so they're going to need to be strategic in it. But look, I still think, though, when you put World Cup around things, there's always going to be that novelty factor. And so I think with the population, I think they will get the crowds. I mean, people were hesitant when Japan was announced as the Rugby World Cup 
um, when they hosted it, and I think they did that really, really well. But look, I, I think we do need to take the game globally. I mean, that's one thing that you go back to 1987, it's still only really the same five or six teams that can win it um, every four years, and yeah, I think I, 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 I think it's a really good, bold move. I think it's exciting, and I think it's just fresh. And you know, I think rugby just needs to constantly refresh itself. So, look, I'm all for it. Chicago Field calling a World Cup final with involving the All Blacks uh, for you, Jeff McTainch. It's a it's a mouthwatering <laughs> prospect, I, I would imagine. It, it seems yeah. a long way off, but uh, you know, but it, it, in effect, it probably isn't really. Uh, we'll be looking at a new generation of All Blacks by then, of course. Uh, well and truly, but it is a market that perhaps um, needs to be explored, and this is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with Mark. I think um, you know since 1987, perhaps the, the power brokers uh, in world rugby uh, have, have probably played it a fairly straight back to, to where to host uh, competitions around uh, potentially the big three um, and, and the northern hem- and the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere. Um, you know, but. They went to Asia in 2019. We found out that that was a success. Japan made it to the quarterfinals against South Africa. They went through pool play unbeaten. They defeated Ireland. Um, you know, so that's going to be a really important part too with this with this uh, announcement. Is that investment? I think you know, USA Rugby a couple of years ago were uh, had a handout. They were they were I think filed for bankruptcy. So um, it, it's a big turnaround to be given the opportunity to host the Rugby World Cup. I think it's going to cost them half a billion dollars. Uh, for, for the pair of those tournaments. Uh, but as I say, investment has to happen so that this uh, this USA team can get buy-in from the general public. I agree with Mark. I think there's a massive novelty factor. And if anywhere um, there is a novelty factor in the world around sport, it's got to be the USA. So, I mean, they've got NFL stadiums that hold 100,000-plus people. Um, you can imagine those full for a Rugby World Cup. It would be an absolute spectacle. Um, I think if you cast your mind back to the 2018 Rugby World Cup Sevens, which they had in San Francisco, that got plenty of interest. I think they had over 100,000 people through the gate across three days, and NBC's ratings were very good too. So, um, no, that's uh, it's it's good for the game. Got to get it to North America. Got to expand the horizons of world rugby. We're seeing it domestically here with with the Silver Lake deal. World rugby now needs to look at it and go, okay, how can we grow our game? How can we uh, get new invest, investment on board so that um, we ensure its longevity? You reckon Silver Lake's going to go ahead, Jeff? Uh, that vote's coming up very shortly. I think it will. I was reading the, the latest rugby news magazine the other day and had a, had a good read of the article in there. And and I, I feel like uh, they've got buy-in from both the uh, the Players Association now and the PUs. A bit of a sticking point around the unions in terms of what it's going to look like. I know they changed the um, you know the revenue structure and and um, and, and the share take that um, that Silver Lake. Uh, got in uh, in New Zealand rugby, so it's just it's just around how it flows down to the grassroots. I think it's important that they're going through the process and and making sure that everyone's looked after. It's not rushed because it's legacy, and it's um, it's very important that all parties get it right. Uh, Mark Watson, here's uh, an interesting one. We've never heard this before. Uh, Warriors owner Mark Robinson pleads for fans <laughs> to be patient and insists there's still a good chance to make the NRL playoffs. Well, wow, there, there's there's a new statement. Yeah, 27 years, I think we've been patient, isn't it? Oh, look, it's just, look, uh, yeah, I don't even know. Oh, I, I said it to you a few weeks ago, look, you, you, you just can't put back in what God left out. And um, as I've said, I, I mean, you know, when it, when it comes to talent identification, you, you, you know, when you go to below the NRL, you know, rugby leagues from the shoulders down, 
when you get to NRL level, it's, the, it's above the shoulders, which what counts. And, you know, when it comes to redefining talent, we've got to actually start looking... You know, we, we've got to stop just looking at the physicality of a player. We've actually got to start looking at the mental attributes. But we actually need to go out there. As I've said to this before, you know, get people outside of rugby league to come in here and, you know, do some due diligence on this organisation. Successful business people, successful corporates, athletes from other sports that have done well, and just start, just start afresh and just... Yeah, to just, you know, stop going to rugby league to solve rugby league problems. Um, it's, boy, it's frustrating. Hey, hey, look, I'm not sure how much time we've got. I just want to congratulate you and your Spurs team on beating Arsenal this morning 3-0. Um, okay. But also, you didn't do me any favours last week with that one all draw, Smithy. So I'm not quite sure where you fit with me today in terms of your likability. But you're well done this morning. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I'll take that. Um, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, actually, uh, Mark. And um, sorry, we let you down a little bit last week, but um, we're pretty happy about that. In fact, you know, how do you see? How do you see? How do you actually see um, the, the four Pete now? The, the, the possibility of the, the, you know, the four pronged attack. Well, I, I, I see. I see Liverpool winning hopefully the FA Cup on Saturday. Um, right. Beating Southampton next week, and I see Manchester City drawing with um, drawing with West Ham um, oh. in this weekend's clash, and then I see them drawing or losing to Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa on the final day, handing handing the EPL to Liverpool on the final day. How's that sound? And, and your no, mob sounds, making the top good. four and playing Champions League next year. Yeah, my mob. My mob, that's an incredible uh, thing to say about it. such a talented bunch of individuals <laughs> as Tottenham Hotspur are. Um, honestly, uh, I, I'm not sure I've ever heard so much optimism come from uh, Mark Watson before, Jeff McTainch. Uh, what are you looking... What's your highlight yeah. of the weekend? Oh, look, mate, it's got to be super rugby. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, the Crusaders go against the Brumbies. It's going to be one half of a game, and... As uh, what I alluded to before, look, it's not um, it's not often a Crusaders team heads into a game of footy as the underdogs, and I'd love to see the the TAB odds. Haven't had a look yet, but I'd say, I'd say they are uh, at, at the bookmakers. So certainly looking forward to that, and uh, and the rest of the games over the weekend uh, as well. Cool, Jeff. Uh, we've got a, a text coming. Uh, we probably haven't got time to um, answer. This from your point of view, Mark Watson, but we will next time. So mark this down. We're going to ask you about the efforts uh, at the moment of Matt Kerr, Kyle Smith and Braden Curry. So uh, mark that down. And I also want yep. you to uh, look at um, uh, next time also. Um, I, I love track and field. Absolutely love track and field. It's, it's my bread and butter at the Olympics. So I want you to um, perhaps consider some of our best prospects coming up for these Commonwealth Games because... Uh, some of our athletes have behind the scenes been making quite a mark in terms of their times and performance. So if you can do that for us, Mark, that's uh, you and I next time around. Uh, thanks very much for being on the panel this time. Uh, Jeff McTainch, have a great weekend. Have a great call wherever you are. And we will see you around the traps very shortly. Great weekend, fellas, and thank you for your time this morning. We shall have uh, another panel, of course. Oh, well, I won't. Uh, Ricardo Ball will have one on Monday morning. Um, and also, I, I can tell you too, Ricardo taking over uh, for the next week. Uh, we haven't had the call line this morning, of course, so the Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks didn't go to anyone. But what's going to happen is it's going to jackpot for Monday. It's going to jackpot for Monday. Logan, producer Logan Swinkles tells me we will be putting up 100 bucks for your calls at 9.30 just after 
on Monday morning. Not sure what uh, Ricardo's subject will be, but certainly he'll be looking at uh, the results over the weekend, I am sure. And let's just hope Manchester United have a good weekend because that will make it a happy Ricardo. It is 10.45 here on SENZ. Number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Latest PGA started uh, this morning, uh, our time, uh, and it's, uh, of course, Thursday afternoon US time. Sebastian Munoz, Sebastian Munoz, 12 under, 12 under, shot 60 in his first round. This is a very strong field leading into the uh, US PGA next weekend as well, just by the by. Most of the big guns are playing in this tournament. Dustin Johnson at 5 under is one of them. Scotty Scheffler, I think it's 6 under at the moment, still out on the course. Jordan Spieth, 5 under after 5 rounds. KH Lee, of course, the Korean, uh, is minus 8. He's the defending champion here. But Munoz, Sebastian Munoz from Colombia, 12 under. Shot 60. Incredible performance. Richie's coming, and uh, for you, Mark Watson, sharpen up, Watto. I hope Liverpool do win the FA Cup on Saturday. Uh, pity it's being played on a Sunday. Well, just a, just a point, but it's Saturday English time. Saturday English time, Richie. Don't get that picky, old boy. It is uh, 10.51 here on SENZ. We've got to catch up with Louis Herman Watt uh, and put Morris before 11. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. They are racing today at Matamata, uh, but also, more importantly, at Queensland uh, over the weekend, a massive carnival at uh, Eagle Farm, transferred from Doombin. And the big news overnight, too, that very elegant, unlikely to be racing in this part of the world again. Louis Herman Watt, good morning. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Hey, if um, Baz hadn't got that gig, we probably would have had a full show on racing this morning. Uh, like, uh, it, there's so much news going around. So much news. I'd love to get your thoughts. Very elegant. If you were part of the ownership of Very Elegant, um, you were Don Goodwin, you were Nick Bashara, you are one of these minority owners, not the, uh, Bray, the, uh, the, <laughs> the bloke Bray across the ditch, would you be keen to have Very Elegant go north after everything she's done? Ten separate group ones, all of that prize money. Would you want to see her go and contest against these European stars? No, I wouldn't, actually. I don't think she has to. I don't think that's proving anything. I think there's much, much more money to be made, as if I'm being selfish about the whole deal. And over, you know, the Melbourne Carnival on its own, Melbourne Caulfield double, that would be quite nice. So, yeah, I wouldn't be interested in that. I'm quite sad she's going, actually. Quite sad. Yeah, I'm, I completely agree, Smithy. I honestly do. And, you know, the same should be weighted out of those handicaps. Well, there's way for age races. And let her, let her, go sort of, let her retire. Oh, yeah, didn't, didn't quite like that one. Hey, um, tomorrow we've got a couple of nice ones here. I'll chuck a couple of out now. Then everyone will have to listen to the mail run for the rest of them. Race one, Harwater, Sea Jets, trained by Paul Richards, formerly at Tiako Racing. Um, it's a family kind of affair with Sea Jets there. It's got Lisa all press on. It was huge last start behind and out of a very good form race. Al Vincent was over in the Queensland uh, Derby, at the Queensland Carnival now. So apostrophe came out and won as well. I love Seajets. Fresh. I love Seajets second up in the first at Harwater. And race three, Aris, Aris. I think that is a real nice chance at Rotorua. And uh, Guy Havel, he's with me on the mail run tomorrow in lieu of Mickey G. Great. Look forward to that. Got to get across. Uh, thanks, Louis. Have a great weekend. Got to get to Pip at the... Uh, the TAB, because tonight, Greyhounds are at Addington. Palmerston during the day. Addington tonight, late this afternoon. The St. Ledger, the Oaks, the Kingston Cup. Great racing.
Oh, certainly is. Smitty, good morning to you. And, and just on the Oaks, the hot favourite there, Charlotte Lou. Look, she does look hard to beat at a dollar and 55 cents. So I think Mandy Jewell, though, if she can stay in touch with her, her looks a good bet in behind. And there's power plays available on all the three features out of Addington tonight, Smithy. And I do like uh, one option there with Charlotte Lou to win and Mandy Jewell to run top four at 210. I've got them one, two uh, in my selections this evening. There's some really nice power plays around both of the group ones. The St. Ledger. Look, I think Gene and Dave say he have a really good handle on the race, although Craig Roberts with Naya Bale and the ace uh, looks a good play. But I'm going a Paula Wayne. He's at $3 to take out the race, and there's a really nice power play, a power lane to win, and Melville Bale to run top four. I think he can do just that, so do check out those odds. And bonus back races tonight at Addington as well, and the first two for the harness, and just quickly, the best backs in both of those have been Bubba Scrub in race one and Harold Smith in race two, so so much to look forward to out of Addington. Can't wait for it, Smithy. Neither can I, and we're talking to Gene Fahey in the next hour as well. But uh, coming up to 11 o'clock, a news bulletin now with Araha Hathaway. On SENZ. Yep, that was it, uh, way back in 2015. And, uh, of course, that was Grant Elliott, one of the most magic moments in New Zealand sporting history. Uh, lucky enough to call it, lucky enough to witness it anyway, without having to call it, it was just so special. And, of course, leading that New Zealand side was one Brendan McCullum, uh, who now, has uh, it's been announced, uh, has become the uh, Test Match Coach for England. Uh, and it's appropriate we talked to Grant Elliott because not many people know Brendan McCullum around a cricket ground. Better than Grant Elliott. Uh, Grant, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, look, I mean, really, I mean, we've all got thoughts about this. Um, I, I, I just wonder what your take is on it. Oh, Smithy, it sounds like an absolute party, doesn't it? You get a, a commentator and um, a pundit like Rob Key who gets the director of coaching job. You get Ben Stokes, your most aggressive player and all-rounder, be the captain, and then you throw in Brendan McCullum as coach. I think everyone's sitting on the edge of their seats waiting to see what will happen. Oh, I think we are. Uh, I, what I'd like to know, and a lot of people won't know, um, Brendan McCullum, is Brendan McCullum in the dressing room, uh, and that's where he's going to be quite a focal point. It's Ben Stokes' room, but by and large, Brendan McCullum's going to have to work his way around that room, get to know a few people, a few personalities. What is, uh, for instance, that night, that fateful night where you hit those winning runs, what, is, what was Brendan McCullum like as a dressing room personality, say, in the break when you had to go after that total against South Africa? Give us an example of how he thinks about um, challenges in cricket. I think not so much during the game. I'd say that Brendan's really calm during the game. Uh, you know, it is what it is type thing. You know, he he captains just how he plays. He goes, goes out there and he'll tell players, I want you to express yourself. Just go out there and play, you know, the best version of yourself. He gives people a lot of license. He gives them a lot of confidence. And I think that that means that the players can go out there and they can express themselves. He also gives them a lot of rope. So that was one thing I think that changed the Black Caps um, environment was that the fact that players knew that 
wasn't going to be their last innings. If they got a chance, they were going to get a number of chances before they proved themselves that they weren't good enough. So that gave players enough um, opportunity to go out there and play their natural game. So I think the environment that he creates is almost the way he plays his game. He knows that when, when he's free, he's not thinking, um, and he doesn't have the handbrake of, of fear of failure or expectation on you as a player, that you can go out there and do something special. So, I mean, you know, with, with Stokes as captain, I do agree with you. I think that Brendan's the coach, so he'll have to get around the probably the individuals. Ben will be the one that will be running the team, and Brendan will be in the background helping, helping Ben to, I guess, change the, the culture, which is what he did with New Zealand cricket. It would have been a fairly easy interview for him to have if they say, what have you done? He goes, well, bowled up for 45 in a test match, and now we've got the mace in our cupboard. Yeah, actually a very good comparison. And that is an interesting point in myself. How is he going to approach this first series uh, against New Zealand? I mean, one great advantage he's got, Grant, of course, is he knows the opposition inside out. Um, He doesn't have to do a lot of homework there. So some people will say he's leaving it late. Um, That might not be the case this time around. Yeah, I think the the main concern for England is just their combinations. they, they really have struggled lately and just trying to get those, those right combinations. Who are the people that are going to be to drive this new culture forward? Not just the batters, but the leaders in the room. You know, get Joe Root back into really good form. Some, some young talent, guys like Ollie Pope. Like, does he come back into the fold or does he bring back the veterans of Anderson and Broad? So once, that, once he works out, I think, who's on his team sheets, I think that then he'll work out and we know going to be aggressive don't we uh, it, it would be uh, strange if Brendan McCullum looked to coach a test team but it wasn't an aggressive test team hard job coaching England at cricket hard job having a profile in English sport how do you think he's going to manage the media because that is a big factor it's funny uh, that was one thing I was really talking to a number of people about they said this is a job where, you know, the media is at you from day one. And I see there's already a couple of people that have sort of, you know, chimed in and have their own opinions on the, the role. And I think it's, as a sportsman, he's lucky because he's played cricket for 20 years. I mean, Brendan McCullum's been through many sort of, you know, articles in his career and then managed to emerge at the end of his career as one of the nation's heroes and the keys to the city of Wellington after his triple hundred. So I don't think he'll bother too much about the the media. I think that it's probably the number of press conferences you have to do and maybe the commitments around that more so. But I don't think Brendan will worry about what's said said about him in the the media. Grant, were you surprised it was the red ball, not the white ball gig that he got? (laughs) I was, actually. But, you know, white ball... See, leads more towards the aggressive side of things. But then when you, when you look at the cultural side of what's happening with the English cricket, they obviously need a cultural change. And Owen Morgan's done that with the white ball team. And obviously a good friend of Brendan. They probably spoke a lot in the lead-up to that because they, they were, I mean, let's admit, they were pretty awful in that World Cup um, when we played them at Sky Stadium. So they've undergone that change in white ball cricket. And I think Owen Morgan leading from the front there that's maybe secured, whereas the test cricket, they've been struggling. 
losing. I think they've won one out of the last 17 tests. So it is in a bit of, uh, it needs a shake-up. It needs a, see, a personnel change, but also they need to get a bit of soul back. And I think I read that in the paper, and that's maybe what, what Brendan said. And that's exactly what he gave New Zealand cricket. So I think he is the perfect for the job. Try and find out whether the, the English team can find that philosophy and that identity of how they're going to play test cricket. Because, I mean, is the ultimate. Playing test cricket and playing in the Ashes, I mean, that would be unbelievable as a coach of the Ashes. So that's something to look forward to. As a, as a person um, away from cricket as such, we know Brendan McCullum, uh, he, nothing he likes more than to mix and mingle, loves a, a beer or, or a wine. Uh, loves to have a punt, etc. Uh, those are all pretty public sort of activities. Um, but I just wonder whether Brennan McCullum is, is going to have to... Are they going to have to adjust to Brennan McCullum uh, or does Brennan McCullum have to make adjustments? Because uh, sometimes, you know, you're a Peru so closely in English sporting environments that you are forced to change. And, and I'm not sure Brendan wants to do that. Well, I think, first of all, you're quite lucky as coach because you're almost in the background as a coach. Um, but live and die by your results. So I think if if he's winning, everyone will embrace him and, and love him like the English do. You know, when they're winning, they're on top and they're the best in the world. But when they're losing, it gets um, a little bit hairy. But I think that, you know, years' experience of playing and being captain and experience he takes into that job I feel sorry for coaches that haven't experienced a playing career because they haven't experienced that press and how the two sides of the coin can really affect you whereas as we spoke about before I don't think the media will really affect Brendan um, I obviously have to manage it being in England but if he's winning then he'll be right as rain you, you mentioned before the combo uh, the Stokes combo alongside uh, Brennan McCallum and, of course, the, the Rob Key measure as well. I mean, we are talking about three guys who are basically uh, on June the 2nd all under scrutiny for their first performance in their new roles. Is there a danger, is there a slight danger, knowing the nature of Test cricket and knowing the impatience of uh, what English fans will be expecting, is there a danger there isn't sort of an anchor in the group, so a sort of a guy who's just going to say, uh, hold it a second, fellas. Hold it. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, proverbially. Well, I think this is where, where Brendan's lucky. He's been through that change. Um, and he knows that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take just one day. So being bowled out for 45 in South Africa, spoken about as being his lowest point in his test career, but managed to turn it around. So secret love. Rob Key and it has to be the senior players around him. That's why I say choosing that team sheet is so important to change the culture around. So Brendan will have to do that very quickly to get into this test series and then confidence to go out there know that they're going to be the ones leading the culture and the team forward and hopefully the results um, slip into place. He's probably starting off in the best place possible against an opposition that he knows really well. So um, I think he'd take a lot of comfort into that. But, I mean, 
what an what, what an absolute honour to to coach an England team being a, a, a Kiwi. I think that you know it's a real amazing um, feat and a, a testament to what he's done in the game. And I think you know we need to celebrate it. it happens with the results, but I think everyone will watch to see how Robert Key and uh, and Ben Stokes are going to turn English cricket around. Grant, as you well know, uh, cricket is about runs. It always has been and hopefully it always will be. And they are the currency in the game and they give you the asset or the bank account with which what you are able to play with. That starts at the top of the order. Um, and that has been their biggest failing in the last uh, four or five years in the slump that they've pretty much been in. They have not had the ability to give Joe Root and co. a platform to operate from. Where are they going to get it from? I mean, does Brendan... McCullum have the cattle and the job he's walking into. That's going to be a fascinating one, especially in the batting side. I mean, bowling, obviously, there's the question marks of Broad and, and Anderson. That's a big decision to make. Now, Robert Key said that they, he's making them available, whereas in the last regime, they were, they were dropped and out of flavour. So whether they come back into flavour. But looking at their, their team, obviously Joe Root's the stand-up performer. He's a Williamson, and as you say, he needs time. Um, on the first over, they had Rory Burns and Dom Sibley. But I think you look at the, the senior players, someone like Johnny Bairstow. I really like the passion with how Johnny Bairstow plays and that Ashes innings, I think it was in Sydney. Um, just how he played and... Um, showed a lot of resilience at the crease. Someone like him, um, Ollie Pope, is a really talented youngster coming through. But looking down that team sheet, a guy like Chris Wokes and Josh Butler, those are sort of guys that I'd see being in a leadership team there and, and running the, the um, culture. So you need a good start. You don't want to chop and change players. I feel like England have chopped and changed players a lot. Jack Crawley, who's been in and out, hasn't really... Um, the lights out. He's done well. I think he got a double hundred and was given a bit of opportunity, then dropped, then came back again. So there needs to be consistency and backing in that and the players that, that Brendan puts on the park. Grant Elliott, you're on deck for us tomorrow? Um, yeah, the Saturday sesh. I'll be there with uh, Daniel McCarty. We're lining up an uh, interview with Sigmund. To get a cricketer, a cricketer uh, for eleven fifteen to talk about what we're just talking about now. Someone like uh, Neil Wagner, or BJ Watling. We haven't locked that in. We haven't done all of our homework yet, Smithy. Good on you, Grant. Hey, at least you've done your homework when it came to our show, and we appreciate your time this morning with uh, some thoughts on uh, Brendan McCallum and I, a guy you, you know so well, playing under him, uh, sitting alongside him, going into war with him. So, uh, thanks for your time, Grant. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Grant uh, Elliott. Yes, tomorrow with uh, Daniel McCarty. The, uh, the line a bit uh, frosty there, wasn't it? But uh, I think we got the gist of it. Uh, it's a challenge, uh, but uh, everyone that knows Brendan McCullum knows uh, he will be up for it. Uh, it's 11.17 here on SENZ, and when we come back, interesting interview. We've been focusing every Friday on the greyhounds in this country, and we're going to be talking to Gene Fahey, part of a combo with husband Dave, uh, probably... Uh, the most accomplished greyhound kennel in the country and they've got some uh, big races coming up tonight with some genuine chance. Gene Fahey next.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, make sure you tune in to SENZ every Sunday from 11 to 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. It's hosted by uh, two legendary Greyhound experts and Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Uh, so that's your opportunity to catch up with the, the local news. And speaking of catching up, uh, we're doing that right now with uh, Gene Fahey. Now, Gene, in, in partnership uh, with David, uh, perhaps the most successful combo, I think, uh, training greyhounds at the moment in this country. It's uh, an honour and a pleasure for me, her to come into the show uh, and uh, for us to be able to speak to her uh, about her team uh, and uh, her kennel. Jean, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. It's uh, great to talk to you, Jean, on, on a pretty big uh, day where, in, in Greyhounds uh, in New Zealand, of course, Addington tonight. Uh, three massive uh, races in particular, but I'll come to them as, in a second or two. Can you tell us a wee bit about your operation, Jean, uh, and the, the success plan you've had that have uh, brought you uh, success in around 100 group race uh, winners so far? Um, I think we keep our numbers to a certain figure. We don't, we sort of grew to a point where we decided that was what we could handle, where we can. Um, look after them all and, you know, David could check them all thoroughly because I think that's the key. He, um, when we first started getting um, into it full-time, we travelled to Australia and even in, when we went to Ireland, he went and visited vets and people that checked dogs over there and learnt things from other people and I think that's the key to how we've managed to be successful. And we also don't hold on to dogs that we think... Dave has a policy, there's always dogs on the list to be moved on to other trainers and um, once a dog sort of meets their match here in Canterbury we pass them on to other trainers. Okay so your operation is at Bell Can of course in North Canterbury uh, so how many dogs do you have in the, at the kennel at one time? Um, racing kennels the most we normally would have would be about 34 um, that's the number of race kennels we've got, but we also have a puppy farm which my daughter manages, which has all the young dogs and the spelling dogs, and that can have up to 50 dogs up there too. Okay, that's interesting. So that's a pretty small team when you think about your success rate, uh, Jean. What about the uh, importation of dogs? Do you, uh, do you that, do that in terms of racing and breeding? We don't import any dogs on our own account. We haven't for quite a few years, but um, if a dog somebody rings us and asks if we're interested in um, racing them, Dave will do a bit of research on that dog and then make a decision whether it would come to these kennels or not. We haven't imported many in the last couple of years, but um, there's always the occasion. I mean, one of our dogs racing today, Gatine, came in nearly two years ago and she's only had five starts. So, yeah, we, we don't import. We haven't imported a lot. We have had periods where we've imported quite a few. Well, tonight is but one of the yeah. big... Uh the big race uh, nights, uh, Gene, in that respect, because uh, you plan towards uh, the big stakes nights and there's uh, plenty up for grabs tonight. Can we look at uh, the three races in particular? Uh, the St Ledger, uh, where you've got Opawa Superstar and Opawa Wayne lining up. Yeah, well, that Superstar is probably the best dog, but at the moment he's he, he's just not himself. Um, but So we sort of... We have a feeling that they're pretty equal, um, and Opawa Wayne's quite—he's quite a strong dog as well. So just be on the night which one gets in front. I think will be whether they are. But then you've got Craig Roberts' dog in box one, and 
obviously that's the ace draw and Nala Bale is actually Naya Bale's actually quite strong as well. So it'll be an interesting race between the three of them. The New Zealand Oaks is uh, on the cards as well tonight. Uh, Charlotte Lou is uh, the hot favourite. Not yours, but you have three contenders uh, up against Charlotte Lou and Milky T, Chatty Mavis and Opawa Gina. Well, um, Gina's probably the, the best of the three in ability, really, because she's gone, um, has had a fast time in one, in one race. But Milky T's just fresh up from last week so it'll be interesting to see how much she improves and she's got the more inside draw than the other two um, I've obviously I'd quite like Teddy Mavis to win because Dave and I own her and we bred her so that's my personal choice but I think I'm just hoping for a place with her Kingston Cup uh, is also uh, on the program tonight you've got Humbling and Hairpin, Hairpin Trigger involved well, obviously the choice there is it's keeper. He's just sensational as a distance dog, and all you know, it's really pleasing to see Gary have this great dog running around. Um, but obviously our um, hip and trigger is probably the better of our two. But two, but um, humbling, she's drawn the ace draw. She is a quick beginner. If she begins, I've got to catch her. But um, no keeper will be just whizzing past her, I would say. It'll be interesting to see how, how she managed to handle out, stay up that 700 metre race. How many have you got in uh, tonight, Jean, overall? I think there's about 13. I think there's 13. Um, probably one of our better ones to back would be um, Gatan, but she's going to be at such short odds because last week she went a sensational time when she won last week. Jean, how do you name the dogs? Yeah, how do you name them? Who do, who does that? Well, it's interesting because Dave looks in the paper and finds interesting words, and then he might. He, some of our dogs have been named some funny thing. So he he goes through the paper and thinks, oh, that might be a good name, and then he writes it on the naming paper. So, um, obviously, Gatan wasn't named by us; it was named by the Australian owner. But yeah, some of these other ones we're just looking for phrases or words that may suit the dog. Incredible. Great story. Uh, great chatting to you as well, uh, Jean. Uh, con- uh, congratulations on what you and Dave have been able to achieve so far. Incredible record with such a, a small kennel. Uh, your ratio to numbers is, is out- simply outstanding. And uh, let's hope that improves tonight. Thanks for your time and may tonight be successful, please. Thanks, Miffy. No, thanks. It's Gene Fahey there, folks. Gene and David Fahey, uh, of course, uh, synonymous with uh, the greyhound racing industry. Great setup they've got there in Belcan, and they just continue to produce on a regular basis. Outstanding achievers. It is 11.30 here on SENZ. We've got half an hour to go to midday, a pretty b- a busy half hour as well in that. Uh, we shall, though, be taking your calls now. Yes, that's what we'll do. 0800 150 Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven, starting to come in already, and uh, we want to see if you, we can give you. Can we possibly give you some sleep drops for the weekend? Could we possibly give you a fifty dollar bonus voucher from the TAB? Let's hope so. I'm in the mood to be generous. Here's Aroha with an update. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, last one for the week. 
when then Smithy's off for a well-deserved break. Of course, right now he's sipping on some miso soup and he's in a great mood. He's in a generous mood. $50 TAB bonus be up for grabs plus some sleep drops. Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Smithy, joining us first at the crease, we have Jamie. Come in, mate. Where are you calling from? G'day, boys. Uh, calling from uh, Richmond and Nelson here. Nice. How's ah. Nelson doing today? Oh, beautiful day, mate. Beautiful day. Plenty of leaves around, though. I guess it is that time. Hey, uh, Jamie, how the how the how the fins looking? The Marco's looking this year. Oh, always strong, mate. The club rugby's uh, really strong too. There's some good young talent coming through. Uh, so yeah, no, all looking good, and they're all getting plenty of super rugby. So uh, boats well. Coming to get those Auckland boats well. Yeah, good on you. Go and, go and get those Aucklanders. Uh, nothing better than uh, the team, uh, the guys from now, the Promises taking on the big boys and uh, the Marco have done it well for a, a number of years. What are the subjects uh, for Jamie and I this morning? Uh, Logan, what have you got lined up? Well, potentially today after this, Jamie, you might be running out the door and yelling fins up. Today's topics are rugby, Formula One and cricket. Take your pick. It won't be cricket. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll have to go rugby. All right. It's funny how many people are just so afraid to take on Smithy in cricket. (laughs) Okay. Now, because of the news today that uh, America is going to be hosting the Rugby World Cup in 2031 in the men's and 2033 in the women's, the questions today are all around American rugby. So first up. Professional rugby is growing in New York with uh, plenty of Kiwi influence there with the likes of uh, Nehemi Milne-Skunner, Andy Ellis, and Waisaki Noholo on the team. But who is the CEO of Rugby New York? I've got to give you a clue here. I've got to give you a clue here. I know the answer to this one, Jamie, so I'm giving you a clue. Think, crowd goes wild. Oh, it's not Andrew Mulligan. Oh. <laughs> One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not moles. Wow. Man, that would be huge. Uh, over to you, Smithy. Nah, Jamie, it's not actually. It's uh, it's actually Rick Salizzo. Remember Rick Salizzo had a oh. massive history in the media. Um, of course, uh, he was the, the man that put uh, Crowd Goes Wild together and built it over a number of years. I think Logan worked on it for a long period of time as well. Um, so yeah, Rick Salito, that's where he is doing it at the moment. Uh, he's doing it New York, New York Rugby Club, and he's just signed Nehe Milnaskada. Jamie, have a great weekend. Good Sorry we couldn't reward you for your efforts. All good. Have a good break, buddy. Oh, Cheers. there's a generous mood there, a hint, and uh, unfortunate. But hey, Dave from Palmy, here's next at the crease. Batter up. Get your sorry, not batter up. Grab your bat, mate. Pat up. You ready to go? <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah. <laughs> All right. To the stump. Yeah, to <laughs> the stump. <laughs> See if you knock me around the park. Here we go. Who did the USA men's sevens team lose to in last year's Tokyo Olympic quarterfinals? Oh, Question no, again? Um, no, no. Uh, I don't know. Argentina? One of the worst things... I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. I'll repeat the question for you, Smithy, since you asked for it. Yeah. Who did the USA yeah. men's sevens team lose to in last year's Tokyo Olympic quarterfinals? Ah, uh, they lost to us. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. They lost to Great Britain 26-21 and then Great Britain went on and to then lose to New Zealand. Yes, so you are still in the running day from Palmy for a $50 TAB bonus bet and some sleep drops. Let's just cue the music Great, again. Great Britain isn't really a country, is it? They cheat like that, don't they? Yeah, it's it's a little suspect. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on that when it comes to, to the Olympics and rugby, but hey, yeah. that's, that's rugby, what they rugby, do. rugby league, they do it as well. They do it in rugby league, Great Britain. They're that's correct. Absolutely correct, Dave. You're on to it. And then when it comes to the, the slightly, um, the slightly, I won't say easier events, but the Commonwealth Games is certainly a step down from uh, the Olympics. Uh, then they're happy to be England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's their rules. They, they, the head of the Commonwealth. It's their rules. They can do what they damn well like. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> question three. Yeah. Fair question enough. three. Yep. It's their world. We're just living in it. Last question for you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does the USA men's 15s team currently sit in the world rugby rankings? They would be oh, probably. <laughs> I think they're quite. They haven't qualified yet. They must be like eight. I'll go 18th. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. What? Right in the slot, and away it goes. I liked your logic there, yeah. man. You you figured it out right there on the spot. Congratulations. Yes, well, the, 18th. They haven't qualified, have they? They haven't qualified. They've got to play, I think, to get in the World Cup. Yeah, it was Brian. Brian says, uh, you've been waiting to turn that corner for a while. No, I appreciate that you've uh, pulled over on the side of the road to be safe, to take the call, yeah, yeah, yeah. to play stumped. But, mate, that does mean that you've won the $50 TAB bonus bet and the sleep drops. Great start to the weekend for you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Smithy. You have a good weekend. Yeah, good on you, Dave. Thank you very much, and same to you. Enjoy the, the profits of your knowledge there. It is 11.39. Stay on the line, too. Brian will get those details off you at 11.39, and uh, we'll be back, not with uh, Michael Guerin this week, no, with his offsider, Greg O'Connor, looking at harness racing action to come tonight in particular, uh, and, of course, uh, what's on SENZ in terms of horse racing over the weekend. For making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is 11.44 here on SENZ. Normally at this time, uh, it is harness racing time. That uh, won't change. Uh, What does change is uh, the man we're going to go and talk to about it is Greg O'Connor this morning. Uh, Greg, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. And whilst it's a big day for... The Greyhounds at uh, Addington today and this afternoon, uh, later this afternoon and into the evening. Uh, the trots are on as well. Let's not forget about that. The paces go around and some good racing, the size stakes, the Garrard size stakes, and the welcome stakes as well. Yeah, morning to you, Smithy. Um, they're filling in for Michael Guerin. Don't know if I'll get uh, the number of words in in five minutes, but he will. But I'll certainly <laughs> do my best, Smithy. And you're, you're right. Friday night is... Uh, a big night uh, for both codes uh, at Addington with uh, those Greyhound races coinciding with uh, some excellent harness racing. Uh, $50,000 time on it it is. I know it's an overused term, but the Avon City Ford New Zealand Welcome Stakes 
is all about superstars of the future. And I think we'll probably see one again tonight and don't stop dreaming. He's unbeaten in two runs, both at Group 2 level, in races that good horses come out of. Uh, Akuta was a winner of the kindergarten stakes, as has been Don't Stop Dreaming. So he's pretty short. I would describe Smithy tonight at Addington as a bit of a multi-paradise because there's probably three or four horses that, all things being equal, they should just be winning. Race two, number six, Harold Smith, is the longest of those odds, around $2.10. Race three, number five's High Energy. Uh, she's out of Highgate, who won the New Zealand two-year-old trotting stakes. The race that's sponsored by SENZ tonight, race number three, horse five's $1.30. Race four, Shan Noble, number three, again from the Purden Cullen team. Uh, Natalie Rasmussen takes the drive tonight. I think five on this guy, so it could be one. Five, a really also, smart three-year-old. Republican Party, race five. Republican so you need Party to multi them up to yeah. get a divvy. Republican Party is actually our uh, horse of the week, our, um, <coughs> our pacer of the week, actually, so I hope that gets up as well, Greg. Uh, also, uh, over the weekend, it's South Island-based, actually, the harness racing uh, this weekend. You've got Winton uh, Saturday, Ashburton Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they've had some big racing down there in the south. The uh, Winton meeting this week's a little bit more lower key, but, uh, yeah, they kick off. Uh, nice and early there if you want to have a play. 12.15 for race number one. And Ashburton on Sunday, um, pretty much Smithy uh, from about another two weeks' time, we go Addington Friday, Sunday for about two and a half months. So there's not many of uh, these other venues used. And in the main, that's because the grass tracks aren't used at this time of year for, uh, for obvious reasons. So uh, I reckon there's a horse in race six on Sunday, nine Swagman. He can jump back after being a favourite at Addington last week and getting rolled to so race six, number nine. Last night at Cambridge, Smithy, couple of big, big mm. races. The Group 1 turf bar flying mile for the Trotters, won by Muscle Mountain, stamping his claim as the best short-course trotter in the land. He beat Bolt for brilliance. And Hot and Treacherous, who was excellent in the Taylor Mile a couple of starts back, he led and won, just told out uh, AG's White Sox in a very tight finish and the McMillan Equine feeds flying miles. So a couple of cracking races last night there at, uh, at Cambridge. Sunday, Greg, uh, Trotstalk, always look forward to that between uh, 12 and 1. Uh, are you on this week, and, and what will be your flavour there? Yeah, no, M. Guren, so I'll be, uh, again, I'll get a few more words in this week, Smithy. I'll probably catch up with Greg Hope about Muscle Mountain. Uh, he was talking about not going the Anzac Cup next week and into the Row Cup and part of the reason for that Smithy is the dominance of Sunday Sun so I'll definitely have a chat to him, we'll catch up with Brendan Hill, uh, Trent Yearsburg won a couple of races on uh, Tuesday at Addington, he's got a couple of good chances on uh, Sunday and we'll also uh, have a chat to Matt Peden about all of the odds including the Trillion Trust Auckland Cup which wraps up the season from a premier point of view, uh, taking the winter off, of course, on the 27th at Alexandra Park. So plenty of information for the punters and no doubt a couple of winners for them too. Good on you, Greg. Uh, have a great weekend, uh, mate. I know you'll be uh, at Addington tonight. Um, uh, and g- uh, good luck to you, sir. Have, a, have a, a fine time. We look forward to your contributions over the weekend. Yeah, beautiful, Smithy. Thanks. Yes, Greg O'Connor there. Um, in for Michael Guerin. And uh, saying uh, just as much with half the words. Credible. Sorry, Mick, didn't mean that. Uh, it's uh, 11.49. Uh, when we come back, 
we're going to be joined uh, by Staffy, of course, as we look forward to his Friday show. But we also might play, if we've got time, a couple of clips from uh, Baz McCullum on breakfast this morning with his thoughts on what his task is about to become. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.